Hello, community. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2024. Man, I'm always amazed at how time flies so fast. I was thinking ahead to 2024 and wondering, I mean, I wonder if anything weird or special is happening this year. Well, for those of you in North and Central America, we got a total solar eclipse coming. That's pretty cool. It's also leap year this year, so get that extra free day to get ready for Easter uh, between now and uh, Easter. And it turns out that if you're in the habit of saving your paper calendars, you can reuse 2024's calendar in 2052. So it's a little bit of a long game uh, when it comes to recycling, but I mean, if you're into that, I mean, go for it. For me, I'm taking some time this week to really consider what the year 2024 holds. If you've been listening to the latest episodes of the podcast, you know that you know I've been working through some challenges with my schedule. And so as we enter this new year, I'm creating some space this week to getting some clarity on what I want my life to look like moving forward and, you know, not just letting life happen to me. And for me, this looks like going to a retreat center for a couple days and disconnecting from what normally distracts me and giving myself some time to reflect on what really matters. So whatever you need to do, I would just encourage you to make sure you give yourself some time to yeah, look ahead and plan 2024 with a little more strategy and forethought instead of just letting it happen. 2024 from a Philo perspective, that means a few things. We got Philo cohorts are live for the whole year right now. So you can sign up for the one that works best for your schedule. That's a new thing in 2024. We've also got the Philo conference coming up May 7th and 8th. We're excited about it. The ticket price is staying low until February 12th. So go out and get those tickets. Our goal here is to help you become more effective so that your church can become more effective. For many of you, you're just coming off a huge Christmas run of services way to go. I mean, if someone hasn't said it to you, it's a lot of work and thank you for serving your church in that way. And since then, hopefully you've been able to take some time with your family to recover uh, from all the effort that you put into making your church's Christmas services amazing. And if you weren't able to follow along with the Philo Advent devotional through December, which I'd put myself in that category, let's pull it out and give it a listen or watch or read to recenter ourselves and our attention away from just the task and to focus on Jesus. All of this, signing up for cohorts, the Philo Conference, reconnecting with the Philo Advent Devotional, these can all be found on our website, philo.org. All right, on our podcast today, I'm pleased to welcome Paul Johnson. He's currently the executive director of Braving Bird, which is a company that tells great stories and then gives those stories away for free. And if you've been to the Philo Conference at all, we've used their videos a couple times to help connect with an idea in our main sessions. And yeah, they're available for everyone for free. And they're really great stories being told and just sort of reconnecting us and reframing the gospel in new creative ways. So uh, go check them out, bravingbird.com for sure. Uh, But before Paul started all this, he worked as the weekend service executive producer at Willow Creek, among a few other things, I'm sure. And our times overlapped there for a few years. And we ended up having a really great conversation. So here it is. Paul Johnson, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. It's good to be here. Yeah, we used to work together starting in 2012. When did you start? In 2010. 2010. And uh, worked together for four years before I left. And anyway, so we overlapped at Willow for a number of years. Mm -hmm. Even went to Germany one time. Yeah, that was a good time. (laughs) It was. Oh my gosh. (laughs) The memories are flooding back. All right. That's a subject for a different podcast. Why don't you tell people what it is you're doing now and then your story of kind of how you got to this point. Gotcha. So started Willow in 2010, was there for a decade. And I left in the fall of 2020, which was right in the middle of COVID. 
and left for good reasons, nothing bad, no backstory or anything, nothing hidden, <laughs> but just got the sense that my time at Willow was probably done mm. and Willow was looking to go in some new directions and build some build on some new ideas and so forth. And I thought part of my best contribution to Willow's future would be to step aside and let the new team build their own, let the new leadership team build their own sure. team yeah, yeah. moving forward and so forth. So I left not quite sure what was next. And around that same time, a buddy of mine who I'd worked with at Willow, he was one of our creative directors. He left about the same time I did, was also not quite sure what was next. And so we spent a lot of time processing what the next chapter of our lives might look like. And one night sitting around a campfire in his backyard, he said, you know, I still got all these ideas pent up inside and I feel responsible to steward these ideas, mm, like to get them out there but I don't know how to get them out there. And I said, well, I like getting stuff done, but I don't always have the right idea. <laughs> and that was, that was like the first moment where he said, oh, I, I think there's something here worth paying attention to. Mm -hmm. And so fast forward a couple months after that conversation in the backyard, and we created Braving Bird. Mm -hmm. So Braving Bird, we set it up as a nonprofit. So we are raising funds to create content that we give away for free. Mm -hmm. That's probably the easiest way to explain it. And all of our content is video and we want anyone to be able to use it. There's a lot of churches that end up using it with their congregation yeah. for weekend services and so forth, but there's small groups that use it. There's teachers with students, parents with kids, business leaders with their teams and so forth. We've actually heard from a number of therapists that are using some of our content with some of their clients because it oh, gives language to some of what they're trying to talk about in ways that are more helpful. Okay. And so... It's been fun to see how these stories are getting into places that we never would have imagined in the beginning. We believe in the power of the gospel and feel like there's such great truth to be shared and communicated. And we love a good story. So you put those two together and feel like, man, there's just an endless possibility of, of what could be communicated. And so we've just been around, we spent the first two years creating content for a public launch so that when we did launch, there actually was stuff there that people could start using sure, immediately yeah. instead of launching and then say, wait for us. Eventually, to yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so we launched in uh, early 2023. And so we've been public now for about a year and it's been a pretty great ride so far. Yeah. So how did you end up, if you think about going back to your college days or the, you know, your first job or whatever, did something like this occur to you or... Is that your whole journey to get here been like a surprise? Some of both, really. I mean, I've always loved a good story. Mm -hmm. I can think back to early days growing up. There were always a number of people in my life that anytime they told a story, you like leaned in and you listened and you paid attention differently. And so I feel like I've always understood the power of story but in my experience at Willow in particular, anytime we did anything creative on a weekend, there were churches all over the country, around the world really, that would ask us if they could use our content yeah, yeah. for their church. And our heart was always to say, yes, absolutely. The challenge became around issues of licensing and copyright and all that kind of stuff. And so we'd say, yes, you can use it, <laughs> but you got to buy this song and get permission from these people and gave them a whole laundry list. Right, and, right. Most churches don't have time to figure that stuff out. They're sure, like, can right. I use it or not? And we're like, eh, sorry. And it felt like there was such a miss there. And 
so that was some of the inspiration for starting Braving Bird was knowing that there's a need for good storytelling, for creative ideation, really. And if we could do that in a way that would serve churches, but Mm -hmm. not limited just to churches, it felt like that would be a, would be a win. So some of that I'd say it's always been in me. And then Mm -hmm. I think my experience at Willow informed a lot of how we've given shape to what we're doing today. Right. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting to me when I think about storytelling and, you know, Willow and and people really looking for how can we use this in a similar way, like Philo was born out of like we were doing stuff uh, under a different name with Willow. We weren't so worried about making a business out of it. It was just like, yep. how do we resource people? How yep. do we give back to the 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 big C church and now like look at you now <laughs> yeah look at me now well I mean in a similar way it's like okay this is not now we need to figure out how to actually fund something that's that's going to benefit churches yep. all around the world hopefully for more than just you know five or six videos so yep yeah it's a good. big challenge <laughs> so one of the things I would love to talk about your role at Willow and you could correct me if this if I'm totally butchering this when we were working together you were responsible for the weekend experience, like what's what's happening from the stage. So that was production, that was worship, that was creative ideas, and so kind of leading that whole team. Right. I would just love to know how to create a culture of collaboration between these groups of people that don't necessarily think the same, operate the same, you know, have the same work rhythms, you know, just how to kind of foster that the the collaboration sure. when everybody's so different. Yep. That's a good question. <laughs> There's no answer. Well, <laughs> yeah. Maybe no specific answers, but yeah. some general themes. I think you're right. Production and programming have a lot of inherent differences, but there's also some common themes. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the challenge is kind of flipping the script and saying, let's start with our commonalities as opposed to our differences. And one of the things that's clearly the same amongst those two groups is everybody's an artist. Mm-hmm. You've got the technical artists on the one side and you have your more traditional artists on the other. Mm-hmm. But there's something about the creative process, about artists that we tried to lean into and say, mm-hmm. we're all trying for the same thing. We're all pulling on the same rope. And so one of the things that I found in my experience at Willow in particular, but I've seen this in, in other environments as well, one of the best ways to create a collaborative team is to get as many people as close to the origin of an idea as you can. Mm-hmm. I think one of the challenges is when someone has an idea and you hear about it third hand in an email in bullet point form. (laughs) Nobody wants that. Nobody does good work with that. It's like being told what to do. But if you can be invited into a process where you can hear the heart behind an idea, you can hear the context, you can understand the why, Mm -hmm. I think people appreciate that, value that, and end up doing better work because of it. One thing we did at Willow as an example Christmas was always a huge thing at Willow. It is at most churches, Mm -hmm. right? Great opportunity for a church. And so when we had a creative team that would come up with an idea for the programming, that would drive a lot of what a lot of the rest of the church would rally around. Right. And so I would send the creative team on a road show to meet with as many different departments as possible. So all those people could hear right from the source about what the the heart of the idea was. So we would go visit kids ministry. We would visit some of the administrators and let them know because they're doing all, yeah, (laughs) they're doing the ticketing and their extra tithing that they're trying to figure out. Like as many groups as we could get to 
it just built ownership. It built value. It helped people feel seen and not like just a cog in a wheel. And we always missed people and we could have done it better and we should have done it more times. But the, the heart behind that was to help people hear right from the source kind of what, yeah. what the ideas are. The other thing I, I'd say on this is I think every team builds collaboration differently. Yeah. One of the experiences I had also at Willow, when I was first there, I might have been there a year, maybe two years. I had one team in particular that had four people, two older guys and two younger guys. And it was pretty obvious that there was some conflict between the, between the two groups. Mm -hmm. So we had a little come to Jesus meeting. We sat down <laughs> and said, all right, what's the deal? And we pretty quickly stumbled on the realization that the older guys didn't trust the younger guys and the younger guys didn't trust the older guys. Yeah. Okay, fine. That wasn't the revelation. The real revelation came in trying to answer the question, well, how do we build trust? So I asked the younger guys, what's it mean for you? How are you going to grow in your trust and understanding of, of your colleagues here? And they said, I wish they just took an interest in me outside of work. Like, you don't know my wife's name. You don't know my kids, sure. how many kids I have. Yeah. You don't know what motivates me or interests me. If you showed a little interest in who I am as a person outside of work, that would go a long way. So take me out to lunch, buy me a cup of coffee, do something that shows sure. you're interested in me. So that's interesting. So the older guys are like, that's great feedback, super helpful, happy to take you out for coffee. There was no animosity there. It was like, okay, we're naming something. Sure, yeah. We're getting on the solution side. So then I asked the older guys and said, how's it sound to you? Does that build yeah. trust for you or would you answer that differently? And they said, I don't really care if you know about my family. I mean, it'd be nice if, if you showed some interest, but that's not what would do it. What would do it is if I felt like you took your job more seriously, huh, come more prepared, come on time, come with a little more forethought of how your ideas are going to shape the rest of our responsibilities on whatever the project right, right. might be. Yeah. And they said, I just feel like you don't care about our time, our team's time, our resources. It's always kind of willy-nilly. And so if, if I knew that you were taking your job more seriously, that would go a long way to building trust. Well, that was fascinating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here are four people, same team. Yeah. And for some, building trust looked one way, and for others, it looked a different way. You know, it makes me think of the Love Languages book from back in the day. Sure, yeah, yeah. You might give love one way, but I receive it differently. And right. so how do you all get on the same page? So I think in, if you're trying to build a team that has some collaboration issues, you're trying to get more collaborative, I'd start with a little come to Jesus conversation. What's it look like for you? And see if you can unearth some of those unspoken, unnamed, unnamed types of things. The other thing I'd add, that takes a level of self-awareness, which is pretty high. And I think one of the things we did at Willow is we we put a pretty high value on counseling and doing your own work and mm -hmm. trying to get in touch with all the stuff that's under the surface that's going on. And I think we were able to have that kind of conversation and unearth those kind of answers because people were doing their own work on their own. Yeah which I would recommend for anyone with any team. How do you value the self-awareness, the, the help that's needed to make sure you're in touch with what's really going on yeah. underneath the surface? I go back to this moment in my life a lot in podcast conversations mm -hmm. as I'm back there now, sitting at the soundboard, just being uh, not miserable, but just like discontent and wishing things were different and feeling like nobody gives a rip about me up here. Mm -hmm. 
and I've had a really hard week or tough day or whatever. And how come no one's coming up here to, hmm. you know, find out sure. that information? And it, then in that moment, it dawned on me, well, I wonder who else is feeling this way. Hmm. And pff, I've never got up from my chair to ask anybody else, you know, yep. how are you doing? Yeah, or, and so I just remember the first person I talked to was the drummer. He's a volunteer. He was a single dad. And just like, hey, how's your son doing? You know, how are things? You know, just whatever. That was, he was the first guy I went and talked to. And I think there's something about the trust comes from knowing people and understanding yep. what's important to them, whether it's get to know me or come more prepared. You know, that all comes from making an effort to have insight into your coworkers. And it doesn't, won't just happen automatically, especially when not just to make a generalization about tech people and creatives are, you know, are so different. That's true, but everybody's different. And you and I are different. While we're probably more on the same side of, you know, that sure. equation, we're, yeah, we're different people yep. and different things mean different things to us. So, yep. That's good. and I think too, when I, when I hear you talking about just take me out to lunch and get to know my kids' <laughs> names, there was somebody that I worked with that, you know, as the person like, hey, I'm going to build a bridge, I'm going to make an effort and I think everything I tried failed miserably mm. with one person, and I finally just gave up, which is sad to say. But mm. <laughs> I'm just like, well, I got no more tricks. I should, probably should have led with that. Like, hey, man, I've tried everything, so maybe I just need you to, what yeah. do you need from me? <laughs> How well, we can make this better? It's interesting. So it <laughs> reminds me of a story that has nothing to do with any leadership position I was in or anything. But when I was in college, I volunteered with a local junior high school that was right near campus. And I got paired up with a kid who needed help with a science fair project. And I'll never forget, we did like the paper mache volcano yeah, and awesome. whatever. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it was great. This kid was from a Vietnamese background, barely spoke English. And every time we were together, I worked so hard to engage him in conversation. And he barely said anything to me. I thought he was having the worst time of his <laughs> entire life. And every week I would walk away and think, that's such a complete waste of time. What am I doing? I've got other things I could be spending my time on. This happened for an entire semester. It happened to be my senior year and my graduation day. It was a Saturday. Saturday morning, I'm graduating in a couple hours. There's a knock at the door that I was, uh, the house I was living in. And there's my guy and he reaches out his hand and there is a Ziploc bag with two homemade egg rolls in it. And he starts crying and he says, thanks for spending the whole semester with me and being my only friend. You were the only person to ever talk to me. Thanks so much. Oh, wow. And then he turned and ran away and never <laughs> saw him again. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I thought, are you kidding? Like, I thought for sure this kid hated me. Yeah. I thought he wanted to have nothing to do with me. I thought he that, you know, the whole science fair thing was a dumb idea, but I was having an impact that I had zero clue about. Mm -hmm. Something was happening underneath or inside. Right, right. And to your point, you can feel like you're, you're wasting your time, mm -hmm. but there's something about showing some genuine interest in someone that goes a long way to, to everything we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. So thinking about collaboration and, you know, ways of building trust, I mean, I think... You know, I would say everything we're about comes down to, do we trust each other? Do you trust me? Do I trust you? Do we, do we believe in each other, uh, you know, that we're pulling on the same, you know, in the same direction? 
when I think about all the, that's at play with worship folks and, and production folks, and then you have like senior leadership and your role at Willow is sort of like in the middle of, if there, if it's not really a triangle, but maybe you're just like, you're right in the middle of this, this triangle. I guess maybe I have two questions. One is what did you need from, you know, the teams that you were leading to do the leading up better? And what did you need from above to, you know, to help lead the people below? I don't know. What's it like in that middle position there? Yeah. I heard someone say once, being a bridge is like one of the greatest things. You connect people, connect ideas. The downside of being a bridge is you get walked all over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I can, oh, yeah. I can kind of relate with that. That makes <laughs> yeah. some sense. Trying to understand my audience, regardless of whatever meeting I was in, I felt like I was always switching gears in my head. Yeah. Because those that I was leading, say below me, but... Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? They report to you. Required yeah, one yeah. thing and leading up required something different. And I think that's, I'm not sure I always got that that right, sure. especially the leading up side of things. I thought in the beginning that I was there to advocate for my people. I'm there to speak on their behalf and I'm, you know, to make sure that they get what they need to do their job. But it became pretty clear that I think as a senior leader, your allegiance, for lack of a better word, is supposed to be to your topmost team. Mm -hmm. The team you're on, I think. The, is, the team yeah. you're on. And so how do you take the higher level ideas and get your team on board and moving in, in that kind of a direction? Man, that was hard. Now, in peacetime, that's easy, right? When everyone's <laughs> on the same page and everyone understands, that's great. Yeah. When things get a little disjointed or there's not alignment on what ought to be done, that's where it gets gets tricky. Like I was on that team reporting to you and like, is there something different that you needed from that team that you weren't getting or from me? Or because I think thinking about our audience, a lot of times it's very easy to think about the things that concern you. You have tunnel vision on these are my concerns and I'm going to take them to my boss and why aren't they doing anything about it when that's not really that helpful to you in moving the ball down the field, for, even for them. You know, is there something that you would say like, yeah, about that, a better way of doing it? Yeah, or, I don't know if this is real helpful. If I could have waved my <laughs> magic wand, I wish people would have given me more of the benefit of the doubt. Sure. That I understood their specific needs, but it's their specific needs when I'm trying to help manage a whole church's needs. Yeah. One of the things we talked about in our senior team meetings quite often was that we're there to serve the congregation first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And so we would ask the question, what best serves the congregation? I think that's a great question. The challenge with that is it's often very subjective. And so who do you listen to in terms of what best serves the, the congregation? Right. But I think at the end of the day, there are so, you know, places complex as Willow in particular, there are so many different people that you're trying to serve and so many different vantage points that you can answer that question from. When one team member needed one specific thing and kept harping on that, like, I hear it, I understand it, but I'm not sure you see a bigger picture. And so some of that's on me as a leader to, to paint a better and more compelling picture of what the bigger picture is. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure I always got that right. I just wanted people to fall in line and, yeah. <laughs> and just understand and just get it. And that's not fair of me. Like, yeah. So how can I, again, paint a better picture yeah. 
more compelling idea of some of the different challenges. I, I think the other thing that gets tricky is not every staff person needs to know every detail about every decision that gets made. Right, right. And so part of the challenge is figuring out what is appropriate to share and what is none of their business. Right. That's tricky because everyone process is a little bit different and needs different information. But in general, I would say it, it goes back to uh, Jack Welsh. Walsh? Welsh? Welsh, yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the things I heard him say in an interview once is he wishes that all of his employees made him feel like he was six foot five with a full head of hair. <laughs> like set your boss up to do his best work or her best work. Right, right. And if everyone could operate like that, so you're always helping your boss do their best work, I think that sets up the whole organization yeah. well. I think something about the giving the boss the benefit of the doubt, the only thing you're worrying about is very specialized. There's probably more at play than just this one thing. And to to give the benefit of the doubt, as you were talking, I was thinking about when I first started uh, my job at Willow, we were building the the new auditorium, the not so new auditorium now, but uh, <laughs> back then. And so there were a lot of like little rooms and stuff that needed you know, production equipment. And so I had somebody that was working for me that was managing kind of, oh, you know, we're going to buy these speakers and this, the soundboard and, you know, for these, this room for two-year-olds. That is what I remember. And this person was like, oh, I could get subs for this room used that, you know, the, all together would be cheaper than, you know, whatever plan A was. I'm like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll bring that up, you know. And so I, you know, Hey, you know, subs, blah, blah, blah. And uh, my boss was like, no. Mm. Like, oh, but, but it's cheap. You know, it turns out it's cheaper than, you know, no. Like, okay. So I went back and told the person, you know, no, we're not, we can't do that. Oh, I don't understand why. And, you know, it kept coming up. And so I brought it up again. <laughs> and my boss is just like staring me down, like, <laughs> no, we are not doing that. And part of it is, you know, just not totally understanding the, you know, everything that that person had going on, everything that was at play, the perceptions of, you know, subwoofers for a two-year-old room. You know, it's yeah. like all these things that, yeah, for the person, myself and the person that was working for me, like, oh, but this is so much mm -hmm. better. Like, yeah, yeah no, uh, we do not need subs <laughs> in a two-year-old room. Just end of story. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That was a long time ago. And I vividly remember that. Like, yep. no. Yep. Like, <laughs> I, uh, something should be said about, I don't think what I'm advocating for is that you can never question your boss or your leader. Mm -hmm. I think some of the best teams find the right avenues for pushback. Yeah. What gets tricky is when the pushback happens in public, mm -hmm. that gets a little more challenging. Yeah. But I always tried to have an open door and say, hey, if anything ever bugs you, let's talk about it. Yeah. And so... I'm not advocating that the leader's always right and you never get to question, but there are appropriate ways to do that and yeah. to figure out what that looks like and make sure your team has an avenue for pushback. I think that part is is important. Yeah. One of the things that was missing for me as a follower was why. Hmm. Just give me a why. I mean, okay, I'm, I'm stupid, I'm ignorant. I mean, I see it now, <laughs> but like to say, even if the answer is, hey, I can't explain it totally, but just trust me that... We, we can't yeah. do that. Yeah. Even that would have been something sure. to hang on to instead of, 
yeah, just like, no, you yep. can't. That makes sense. But and the, the, but part of it too was the, it was a pretty hot response. I think the next time I probably thought twice about bringing something mm-hmm. up, which I think that's the hard part about, one of the hard parts about, you know, kind of the boss employee relationship is that I think it's hard. I think it's easy to say I got an open door. I think it's harder to have people below you actually believe mm. that it's still open. Yeah. I don't want to say that. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Uh, I mean, I was just thinking, I'm, I've been in this Bible study in the book of Mark, and there was something happened that I've forgotten the details. I should look this up, but like the disciples were afraid to talk to Jesus. I'm mm. like, what kind of, like, what does that mean exactly? Mm. That, you know, Jesus is like this, the, the perfect person, the love and all this stuff, and, and mm. the disciples are afraid. Mm. I mean, so I think part of it is the onus is on the person that's feeling the fear to, to address it. It's mm. like as a boss, there's no way you can know everybody's sure. you know, thing that they're afraid of. But yep. And we had a few conversations while we were working together, just like, hey, this feels funky to me. Or, yeah. And part of that is being on my side, being willing to bring it up and yeah. yeah, see what happens. Makes sense. The other thing that comes to mind, and this goes back to one of your first questions about the collaborative team idea. I'm not sure I did this well at Willow, but it's one of the things I'm trying to work on more so now. It's the idea that I want the best idea to win. Mm-hmm. I don't care where it comes from in the organization. Mm-hmm. It can come from high, it can come from low, somewhere in between, it can come from a volunteer, a donor, you name it. But in order for the best idea to win, you have to have the right pathways and avenues and open doors for people to express those. And so it sounds like in your example, someone had a good idea about cheaper subs. Yeah. And that wasn't taken as the best idea. They could only see it as, why doesn't my idea win? Yeah. I wonder if your boss in a different scenario could have communicated what a better idea was or why you're choosing not to do that. But you got to have the right avenues to talk about that. Right, right. I can only imagine in a building campaign, there's a gazillion (laughs) decisions that need to be made. And if you're being questioned at at every turn, that's a tough spot to be in. But I think in general, how do you... How do you help the best idea win and make sure there's space for people to, to bring that up? Yeah. Um, I think the challenge there too is that for the best idea to win, we all have to ride this balancing act of, I care so much about my idea that I'm going to pre- you know open my mouth about it and present it. And then I'm also willing to just like, mm-hmm. it's not the best idea and that's fine. And it's not a personal attack on me. Yep. And I think that's, if I'm honest, that's when I look back on my time at Willow, and before then, that I mean, that was harder to do because so much of my life felt like it was wrapped up in feeling heard and that my opinion mattered hmm. and being open-handed uh, doesn't necessarily lend itself to having those feelings. Yeah. And in my life now, I'm all about the best idea winning and I don't, like you don't have to care about sure. my opinion. <laughs> I'm not sure which is right or wrong, or maybe neither one is, but just definitely a different perspective. Yeah, that makes sense. Felt like we spent a lot of time, you know, holding hands and making sure everybody was okay, which is not bad, but. Right. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) And I think that's probably true on on a lot of church teams, that there's there's a high value placed on we're collaborating and everybody's opinion has equal weight and, you know, we're, uh, your opinion does matter. But at a certain point, we've got to get stuff done. And so that can't be the case. Yeah, this paints with a pretty broad stroke. And 
clearly overgeneralizes, but mm-hmm. I think with younger staff who are trying to prove themselves and figure out where is their voice, those are the staff that tend to hold on maybe a little bit tighter mm-hmm. as opposed to, I mean, you and I in our <laughs> elderly <laughs> wisdom now. <laughs> understand how to separate taking things personally when our ideas aren't chosen. Right, or, right. So it is easier, I think, maybe in this stage of life for a better idea to win because we don't have as much wrapped up in it. But for someone young and up and coming and trying to figure out their place in the world and so forth, that's a harder that's a harder road to navigate. So I wonder if us as leaders who've been down that road, if we can figure out how to take them under our wing and help them understand where our identity really is right, right. versus where it maybe should be. Sure, yeah. I think that would be a benefit. Yeah. There was a time during my time at Willow that I was very f- frustrated with my boss, not you. <laughs> I was going to say, are you looking at this boss? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hypothetically, um, no. It got to the point where I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think my time is done here. And something happened to me that I, like I was just like thinking about what would I do differently if I was in charge? Mm. Like what's, what's really bothering me here and what would I do differently? And I, as I started thinking about it, it was like, it's, God, this is a huge job. And geez, I mean, I, I would need people to pray for me because mm. like, I don't know if I could do it. Mm. And like the light bulb went on like, Oh, um, and how many times, you know, if I was in that job and feel like I would need people praying for me, like when have I ever prayed for my boss and or the leaders of my church? And I think that revelation to me, well, I ended up staying at mm. Willow. Like I, I, you know, I sort of apologized to mm. my boss, like, hey, you know, I think I've stepped over a line here and just I want to apologize and, you know, like I'm in. Like yep. I just think about tech people, my, and I'll put myself in that category, like wanting people to come up to me and say, hey, I'm praying for you and you guys got it hard and, you know, we'll praying you make it through Christmas and all that. It's not bad. But when have I ever thought that about anybody else? Yeah, you know, it's like the, the pastor, my boss, the, you know, the people that are really, you know, honestly carrying more of the weight than I ever did. It just, it, yep. I think, you know, when we're talking about giving the benefit of the doubt to people, when you're praying for them, I think it it changes your perspective on what they're up against and, you know, how can you support them yep. instead of it just being about how can they get my stuff done. Right. Yeah. Yep. That's good. Oh, I had some good times at Willow. I mean, I, they're not all perfect, but definitely, like, I learned so much for about sure. myself, about how to do things, how not to do things. It was like the best incubator for self-learning and leadership learnings and man, it was it's a good experience. There's some hard <laughs> times in there, but it yeah, was, not easy it was for sure. Good. From a macro standpoint, is there anything that you would have done differently, or looking back, hmm. is there something that yeah you wish the team had done differently, or you know like we totally missed it here on collaboration? That's a good question. I. When I think about it from a macro standpoint, I'm not sure there were specific things at Willow necessarily that I would have done differently. Maybe some interactions here and there, mm-hmm. but for the most part, feel great about my time there. If there are things I would have done differently, it would have not just been at Willow, but at every place life. I've yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> every place I've worked. And I'm not going to get the quote exactly right. So this is a paraphrase, but it comes from Maya Angelou, and she says something to the effect of 
people won't necessarily remember what you said mm-hmm. or what you did, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Mm-hmm. And I think, man, I'm challenged by that. Mm-hmm. I think that there are a lot of people that I have led over the years that would say, I listened and I was supportive, but I don't know that they would necessarily say, first and foremost, that they felt loved by me. Mm. They might say they felt safe, but I want people to to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are loved, that they are cared for, and I wish I would have done that differently. Mm -hmm. Instead of just leading people to make the best weekend service possible, how do you lead people in a way that they feel so loved, so safe, so cared for that they would do anything for you? Mm. I wonder if that's something I would tweak a little bit. I think in a place like Willow where the focus, so much of the focus is the program, the idea, executing whatever's in front of us to the best of our abilities. Um, That's not a bad thing, but you got to keep that in the right perspective along with the people that are actually doing the work. So I wish I would have tweaked that a little bit better. The other thing I was thinking of, there's this quote that comes from, is it Devil in the White City? Is that the book? Have you ever read that book? Yeah, yeah. Not as good the second time. Because <laughs> you kind of know twice. Yeah, you kind of know what's going you know on. What's coming. <laughs> okay, so in this book, there's kind of two storylines. One's a crazy storyline. The other one's all about the Chicago, the, the World Fair. Yep. And in preparing for that, they drew a lot from one of the architects that worked on Central Park. And this particular architect that worked on Central Park in New York, he said, in laying out Central Park, we determined to think of no result to be realized in less than 40 years. Mm. I love that. And I'm super challenged by that idea of having a longer term picture in mind. Again, a place like Willow, it's all about the weekend. It's all about the sermon series we're in. It's all about the summer series. You know, it's whatever's happening it's right now. It's pretty immediate. Yeah. yeah. And I wish that. I would have found a way to have a longer term perspective in mind. And again, not just at Willow, but I think every place I've been, it's always about what's right in front of me. And how do you start thinking about what you want to see? It might not be 40 years, but six months, three years, 10 years, 20 years down the road. I don't even know how I would have necessarily done things differently, but that idea I'm really challenged by. And I wonder how that would shape some of my my perspective. Maybe I see a little bit of it now with Braving Bird in that I don't want to just build a great company for today or make our next film project the best thing ever. Of course I want those, but I want this thing to be sustainable. I want it to be around for the long term. I want my employees, I I don't want a lot of turnover with them. Like I want them there for a long time. And so I'm maybe starting to push into that a little bit more purposefully than than I have in the past. And I think that really marries those two thoughts are the same almost. To have people feel loved, they need to feel like they're valued for who they are, not for the tasks they're mm. providing. And without thinking about it, I think in the in that world that we lived in and, you know, just local church doing service, 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 uh, you know, once a week, you're always trying to figure out, okay, what didn't work? How can we make it better? Mm. That by itself, mm. not bad, mm-hmm. but I mean, if, we're, if we weren't careful, that's all we ever talked about. Yep. And if that's all you're ever talking about, it just, the buildup of, I can do better, we can do better. Uh, I'm not doing as good as I could, you know, when it's not tempered with, yeah, a longer term view of people feeling love, people feeling ownership, like I think about this, so I volunteer at Willow Creek Huntley. Mm. I had a couple conversations with production manager over there, just like, 
you need to let the person running ProPresenter struggle hmm. for two minutes, three minutes, four minutes in rehearsal. We'll get more benefit in the long run for them to figure out what's going on than for you to just jump in and solve the problem. I know we're all, yep. we're bogging down rehearsal. We got all these people standing around, but our knee-jerk reaction is to solve the problem immediately instead of we're mm. in this long game. And so development needs to be the name of the game. When I even think about our time at Willow, it's like there's no room for development yep. because this week has to be better than last week yep. uh, instead of, hey, you know what? We're going to take a dip, but we're developing, you know, we're being strategic about it. And, you know, this is what it's going to look like. And we all feel great about it. It's funny you bring that up. My wife and I talk about this all the time. So of all our kids, we, we have a four-year-old and developmentally, like she's figuring things out, right? Yeah. There are times when I jump in and want to fix it and she's like, no, 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 let her struggle. Let her, yeah, let yeah. her figure it out. And there are other times when my wife will jump in and I'm like, hey, yeah. back off, let her figure it out. And we don't always yeah, think up on, on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on what we should be jumping in. But yeah. I think the idea is how do you... We as parents do everything for our kids and they never have to struggle. I don't know that they'll develop as well as you would want them to. Right, right. So anyway, it made me think of that. The other thing you mentioned that is a little bit of a sidetrack, but it would add to something I would do differently. You mentioned feedback. Mm -hmm. I think I operate best in kind of that producer seat. Like mm -hmm. I love that world. I love trying to tweak things, make it better. Yeah, yeah. I think I've got a good eye for what works and what doesn't work and how we could make things a little bit better. And someone once talked to me about a quote they heard from a, I think he was a manager of a baseball team. And they said, there's a difference between having a critical eye and a critical heart. Mm. I think as a producer, I'm a little more wired to have a critical eye, but I know I'm in a bad place when it turns into having a critical spirit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something we got to be careful of in, in these environments where feedback is such a high value yeah, yeah. is that it's so easy to critique so much and lose just the critical eye, which isn't a bad thing. But when it turns into a critical heart and a critical spirit, that's, that's when you're in a danger zone yeah, yeah. and you need some help. Yeah. And I think for most production people, it's so easy to, you know, if things are going perfectly, then no one says anything. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's like, mm. it's invisible. And so... The feedback then is the only, you know, the critical feedback is the only thing you hear. Yep. I mean, I know for me, I could say, oh, I know I'm doing good work and it's mm -hmm. fine. But I think that idea of feeling, you know, someone actually feeling like that they were loved on the team, yep. I think requires a level of intentionality that it's easy to lose sight of. That uh, John Cassetto from Saddleback says, you know, your team shouldn't feel loved. They should actually be loved. Hmm. I forget exactly what his story was, you know, just like, well, we got, what can we do to help our team feel loved? Yeah. Like, well, we could love them. I mean, that, <laughs> that's a good start. Sort of the point, yeah. <laughs> and I think the, I think it's so easy to get distracted by making something better is, I mean, I'm with you. Like I, I could see something like, oh, we could tweak that and make that better. It's not a bad thing, but it also, I don't need to think about it. I don't need, doesn't take any effort for me to pick something apart. Mm. And so I think for us to create a culture where collaboration and trust and love and all that stuff can, I'm going to say blossom, which feels yeah. like, <laughs> you know, unicorns and rainbows. Sure. Yeah. It will take some effort. It takes intentionality that I think is just, you stack on the, like our critical eye 
and the immediacy of what we're doing, you know, it's like every week, every week, every week that, yeah, just it's easy to lose sight of. I think one of the things that helps with intentionality and so forth is we got to figure out how to go at a slower pace, mm, mm-hmm. which Willow, it feels like that's so countercultural. I just read a book by a, a Japanese theologian. It was written back in the 70s or 80s. And the whole premise of the book was that there's a speed at which you can love. And mm. if you look at Jesus, it was three miles an hour. <laughs> that's how fast people walked before there was transportation. And if you wanna love, you can't go any faster than you can walk. Interesting. And the the whole book is fascinating, but this idea of love might actually have a speed. And I think in our society today, no one's going three miles an hour. Right, right. (laughs) I drove here a lot faster (laughs) than three miles an hour. I'm gonna go home faster than three miles an hour. I'm gonna get caught up with my family faster than like, how do we slow it down? Mm. so that we actually can love, so that we actually can be intentional, so that we can have a critical eye and not a critical spirit, like all that. Yeah, I don't know that speed answers all those questions, but it certainly is one of the big pieces that if we could figure that out, mm. how to lower our RPMs and slow way down so we can actually see and feel and hear what's going on so around true. us. Yeah, And it seems crazy to say that in this holiday season. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I know we have a word for it in our house when you have to park far away from, you know, your parking spots way out in the parking lot. We call that incidental walking, (laughs) which is something we as Americans, especially we don't have incidental walking closest parking spot closest to the door. Whereas like my sister-in-law lives in Germany and their life is full of walk to the train station, Mm. walk from the train station Mm -hmm. to the office, walk to the market. You know, it's like there's all these moments of life does slow down. Mm -hmm. I mean, I suppose you could be on your phone the whole time or whatever, but, you know, just that idea of the pace of life being at a walking pace, we just, there's no room for it. Yeah, so sad. Well, this has been great. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, coming in person. I guess we didn't mention that. Thanks for making time and yeah, great conversation. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. One, two, three, four. Really good stuff. If you picked up on it, Paul was my boss for a time, and I honestly wasn't sure how that conversation was going to go. I was kind of nervous going in, but man, we had a great conversation and definitely need to have him on the podcast again. I loved his idea of giving your boss the benefit of the doubt. I think it's so easy for each of us to kind of have tunnel vision on our thing and what matters to us. And it's real easy just not to think about what might be going on in the organization kind of above and around us. And so I thought that was a really great reminder that, I mean, your boss is doing the best they can and they're trying to do what's best for not only you, but a larger organization. And to extend a little bit of benefit of the doubt is so good. The other thing that was fascinating to me is just that idea of the speed of relationships is three miles an hour. It's just an interesting concept. And I kind of feel like it's really true. We're always moving so fast, looking only ahead to next Sunday and next Sunday and next Sunday, that it's really difficult for us to have this longer view of not only developing our volunteers or how to change processes or whatever we're doing, you know, in the church, but just building relationships and our own health. I think we're looking at the immediate instead of kind of slowing down long enough to see kind of a longer view. I thought that was a great part of the conversation. 
I gave the website earlier, but if you're intrigued by the idea of Braving Bird, go check out their website and start using their videos in your services. They're amazing. Bravingbird.com. We'll have a link in the show notes. And for those of you, now that it's the new year, if you're looking for new ways to develop yourself, go to Follow Cohorts. They're a great way to be poured into, as well as, frankly, a chance for you to pour into others like a small group for tech people. And we've been working on revamping our cohorts and we can't wait to share some of that with you. But right now you can go to our website and see all the cohorts being offered this year right now. And so you can sign up for the one that works best in your schedule. So check it out, philo.org slash cohorts. And as a way to close out 2023, I want to thank everyone who donated to Philo this year. This has been a huge shift for us and very different, but it's been so encouraging to be joined by others who believe in resourcing the people behind the scenes, you, those of you who are listening at churches all over the world. And we're really excited to see the ways that God can help the ministry of Philo reach even further this coming year. So if you're interested in joining us financially, you can go to philo.org slash donate. And just again, for those of you who have already done that, thanks for investing with us to help technical artists around the world become more effective. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at, at Philo Community. You can consider subscribing to our newsletter. All these ways are just vehicles for you to stay up to date on everything that's going on here at Philo. So until next time, Happy New Year.